Hello everybody, this is Clint Locklear with Trapping Radio and we have a special guest tonight uh, that we're going to introduce here in a minute and uh, we're going to be talking about, well, I'll be, just to let everybody know what's going on. Carl, the amazing superhuman trapper from West Tennessee, has got a confidence problem and we're trying to help him get over that. <laughs> You killing me! You killing me! <laughs> so when we were at deer camp a few weeks ago, I was like, "When are you going to start doing a podcast?" And he was like, "I can't do that," and I'm telling you to believe it. Now, there's, yeah. there's another thing before we get going, Carl. Do you remember a text the other night when you were saying you were not going to do something, and I said in capital letters, "We're all going to hold you accountable." Do you remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the mm -hmm. all was? Uh, not sure. Lay it on me. All is all 30,000 Trapping Radio listeners. Oh, good Lord. Oh, good Lord. You, yeah. you, Are we talking about the smoking deal? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you said you wanted to be held accountable. I do. I do. So, and and I, I bring good news on that side. I've uh, been smoke free for going on, well, it's probably 11, 12 days now. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it is. It is when you've smoked as long as I have. And it was getting to the point to where it really affected my uh, daily life. And, I mean, even I didn't tell you this the other day, when you and I were walking out of the woods, I was really struggling with that. And I uh, decided to do something about it. And, uh, like I say, I've been smoke-free now for... Uh, better in a week, going on 10, 11, 12 days, and uh, feeling better already, and uh, just uh, hope I can keep on plugging with it. Well, I'm proud of you, man. That's that's a big yeah. deal. I mean, I remember yeah. my dad quit. It was it was monstrous. Yeah. Oh, I, I just, I feel better already. I mean, honestly, just, uh, I can tell a change, not uh, waking up coughing and hacking and um, I hope it just gets better and better. And, you know, this time, I think I just uh, had made my mind up with it. Of course, I had to. And uh, like I say, I just I feel so much better and looking forward to the future. Man, i got a lot more traps to run and a lot of turkeys to kill before I get over on the other side. So yeah, we're, we're going to yeah. keep at it. Well, I know that you're, you're a strong enough individual to do it. And I think, you know, we... I think the accountability, the more people that know, just when you, you start thinking one of them things is going to be the most awesome things you ever put in your mouth, just just remember there's 30,000 people that now know if you're going to be able to do what you said or not. <laughs> Sounds good. I can deal with it. <laughs> All right. Um, so let me go ahead and do the sponsors. Okay. Uh, just want to let everybody know who our sponsors are. They're the ones, guys, that, that allow us to do this show uh, because of server costs and everything else. That um, I believe we have the best sponsors in the trapping industry for the simple fact these are all guys that I've dealt with. They're, you find their links below. You can go straight to their websites from there. And they have great uh, shipping and service and everything and prices. But mostly it's just somebody you know you can trust. So we'll start with Oki Cable and Trap out of Oklahoma. Jeb has got pretty much a full trapping supply line. Plus he's a fur buyer most years and sells a lot of meat if you want to make your own bait. 
We have wildlife control supplies out of Connecticut. And if you're in the ADC business, they pretty much have everything you'd ever want. Wouldn't you agree with that, Carl, since you're an ADC? Absolutely. Deal with him all the time. Yeah, just good people. And I can tell you from a wholesale side, it's like dealing with a Fortune 500 company. I mean, when I say professional, it's it's something else. But yeah. Um, yeah. and then we have F and T out of Alpena, the fur harvesters. F and T fur harvesters. They have everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. Most of y'all know who they are. Uh, that you know, if you want a catalog of mine, if you order F and T's catalog, all my stuff is in there. I don't do paper. Then we have funky trap tags and supplies out of iowa allen is now at a deer show this weekend in nebraska so i don't know what it's called but if if you're in nebraska you probably know what the deer show is stop by and say hi to allen and then we have dunlap lures which is jeff which uh it looks like we're all going to be together carl uh at, you know when we're down in the delta so that's going to be a good time but yeah looking forward to it yeah he, he makes tremendous lures and you can get all of his stuff from f and t I want to pull up, which I should have did this while we were talking, but I want to, before we get to that, there's just, it's just talking about, do you know what's going on in Virginia right now, Carl? A little bit, yeah. The, uh, for people that don't know, something's going to happen Monday, and it's going to go one or two ways. Either you're not going to hear about it. Or it's going to dang near seem like we're going into civil war. One of the two things is going to happen Monday in Virginia. So mm-hmm. if you're listening to the mainstream media, you're not getting any of this stuff. But basically, the Democrats won the last election in Virginia by about 10,000 votes. And they're trying to do a lot of just crazy stuff. But one of the big things they're doing is uh, insane gun control. And if you, you know, if you know anything about Virginia, the northern part's basically a suburb of uh, Washington, D.C. So that kind of tells you the character of people. And then you got the southern guys that are, uh, you know, just regular country folks. And do you know now, Carl, there's 91 out of 95 counties in Virginia that's, cons- that's calling herself a Second Amendment sanctuary county? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of coming in a little bit late on this. I mean, I've been busy with some other stuff. So, I, I mean, I, I knew when everything started, uh, but I hadn't been brought up to speed on where we're at lately. So I'm glad you kept bringing this to light here now. Yeah, I, it, like I said, it, it's Antifa's showing up now. The governor's calling basically all of the gun people in, in Virginia Nazis. And he's called a wow. state of emergency. He doesn't want them to be able to bring guns where they could if he didn't have a state of emergency. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, I'm afraid that it wouldn't take much for these the people there just to go, that's enough. Yeah, 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 I agree. That's crazy, man. That is really crazy. So our, you know, thoughts and prayers are for you guys out in Virginia because y'all are having a rough time. Now I want to read, <laughs> I want to read you something, Carl, from uh, WBNS Channel 10 News out of Ohio. And this is the craziest story. And I, a good friend of mine, Dennis from Ohio, uh, which is I've done a podcast with, he sent me this. Police officer bitten by coyote in East Columbus, animal shot and killed. Wow. Police officer 
say a Columbus officer was taken to the hospital after being bitten by a coyote Thursday evening. According to Columbus police, the officer was helping a stranded driver in the area of I-70 eastbound on Hamilton Road just around 7 p.m. when the animal approached. Police say the animal tried to attack a state road worker who was also helping the standard drive the stranded driver when the police officer attempted to intervene that's when he was bitten by the coyote the animal ran after the animal the officer punched it but returned when more officers arrived the state the state road worker then tried unsuccessfully to mace the coyote before the police officers tried to use a taser on the animal Police said attempts to use a taser on the animal did not work and it ran towards a wooded area. The officers then surrounded the animal and tried to capture it. Which I'd have loved to have seen that. <laughs> police, police, police said that the cow became aggressive and one of the officers shot and killed the animal. The officer taken to the hospital is in stable condition and expects it expected to be okay. Police are investigating the incident. Now, one or two things was going on with this coyote, Carl. What do you think they were? Man, that that's so crazy. I mean, you don't know whether the thing's <laughs> rabbit or what. Of course, seven o'clock at night, so it's dark, you know. And you got to figure they're sitting there trying to help somebody, and then all of a sudden this cow comes out of nowhere. I mean, coming back and forth. Uh, my theory, brother, is. He bit somebody on meth or heroin was high as a kite before this. <laughs> or this was one of my customers and he had boss dog in his trunk. I'm not sure which there, one it is. There you go. That was probably <laughs> that's that's crazy stuff there, man. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, that's wild there. So what we're gonna do, Carl, just so you get some self confidence, so when you come up with your own podcast, which I'm sure you will. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I might surprise you with it. Okay, I, I believe it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so what what you got planned for me tonight here? I know you're gonna do a little Q and A, maybe. Yeah, I just went through uh, quickly. Just <laughs> grabbed some very. And my notes are small, so I'm not gonna read the whole emails. But these are basic questions, just over mm -hmm. the last day and a half that I've got on email. So, okay. I'm not gonna answer them. I'm gonna let you answer them. We'll, we'll, we'll attempt to run with it. Let's see see where it goes. Okay, the first one is, a coyote shit on my trap bed after I set the trap. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you set me up on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Now, you want a, you want a funny response or you want something serious? Yeah, something well, like you can do either <laughs> or, but the guy was being pretty serious. Was he really? All right. Well, I've, I've had that happen myself or right very close to it. So, I mean, man, I, I would just make sure, go back through, make sure everything's bedded up good and solid and, and uh, didn't have any lure or anything on my uh, above my trap or whatever and just run with it from there is all I would know to tell him. Yeah, I mean, pretty much what I told him was just move the turd off the trap because he ain't going to step yeah. there. Yeah, use it as, as some blocking maybe or a little yeah. guide step or something there. To me, on something like that, I mean, I've seen that a time or two. I've seen it a time or two with uh, with some fox. And, you know, makes you wonder whether we get sloppy with our uh, baiting and luring and 
might have had a little something on on her hand or you know while we're dealing with the trap there just kind of curious to know that myself well you know i i don't i've got a i've got a theory on what happens and you know you you had two labs at your house for a while Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when those dogs got excited or nervous what was one of the first things they would do uh, oh yeah, yeah. They they either pee on it or poop on it or mm-hmm. try try to cover it up there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when you see that, I don't think the animal's trying to like give you the middle finger, or, mm-hmm. or he's not trying to show you that he's smarter than he is. I just think personally, something there either made him nervous and he took a dump. Or he, it was probably too much lure, and he just got overly excited and took a dump. That makes good sense. Yeah, I, I would roll with that. That that makes perfect sense to me there. Yeah, but I, I definitely, I, what I told this gentleman is, do not add more lure to the set. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Because yeah. you just don't yeah. know. Yeah, obviously something's going on there to get that kind of reaction out of the cow. So, like you said, I'd just move that off of there and make sure everything was tightened up and just, just stay off of it. You know, I, I know a lot of guys piddle with that stuff way too much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was guilty of that for a long time. And uh, so you just, you know, back off of it, get away from it, do the best you can and roll with it. Yeah, I think that's the smartest move. Yeah. Okay, this yeah. other question is one I get a lot because this is pretty common. And since I know you're the beaver master, I cannot wait to hear what you say. Oh, good Lord. All right, come on with it. Let's see. I'm trapping a smaller pond that have beaver in it. Mm-hmm. I catch a beaver, and then there's no more sign, there's no more activity, and I, there's no more beaver coming to my sets. Okay. What does he do? Well, is he, is he through, or is he, or what? I mean... I guess I'm missing the question there. Is he, well, he just, he, he's caught the one beaver. No, there's more than one beaver there, but it's a you know it's not on a river or a creek. It's on a pond. He catches a beaver, and then every the other beaver that are there just go to ground. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen I've seen that here in the city big time. Um, man, that's that's where I generally um, put my lure up in the basket and. You know, throw it in the back of the truck, get away from that. <laughs> and serious now. And and then uh, you know, sometimes it's better off just to back off of a beaver like that. Because I I see that here in the city. <clears throat> um, sometimes I mean, you hit a job, and I can generally tell within a day or two whether them beaver have been meshed with. And a lot of times, uh, if you hit a situation like that, just put that lure up. And go to strictly some type of blind set. My preferred deal would be going there with a, a foothold on a slide rod. <clears throat> Excuse me, something they can't see. Um, you know, you don't have no big caster base lure or food base lure there, and uh, you got to be real stealthy at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like I say, a lot of times it's it's best. Uh, when you catch one like that, it's just to back off of him, give him a few days or even a week or so, and come back and slide in there on him. That, that's kind of what I've learned, man. I mean, it is so frustrating, especially when it's a paid job, which I don't know if this was. But, you mm-hmm. know, you got to go check the traps every yep. day, and if they go to ground, you're better off to pull them than sneak back in there. 
I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with that too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You, you're just going to hit something like that. I mean, my deal now when I go into a beaver job is I try to avoid that at all cost. I mean, I'm going in with snares. I've gotten away from body grippers. Body grippers are a great tool, but if you ever slap a beaver, he crawls over the side of it. That trap fires, I mean, boy, you got yourself into a position there. So I try to go in, I try to gain set multiple five thinkers, four or five beaver in there. <clears throat> Excuse me, I go in with a bunch of traps and I try to knock everybody out as soon as I can mm-hmm. and avoid and avoid that situation from the get go would be my deal. Yeah, that, that, that's good advice. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. well, let me ask you just a little bit further on the pond situation. So, when you go into a pond, you know, you don't have, you, you, a lot of times, you you know, think about an isolated pond. You don't have a lot of crossovers and, and stuff like that. What are you keying on, Carl? I'm, I'm keying on open water set, um, and you're exactly right. I mean, some of the this stuff I do here, you might as well say you're trapping in a, in a dead-gum fishbowl. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. ditches. There's no culverts, um, particularly if you got uh, a lot of rain, a lot of high water. <clears throat> I mean, you might not have anything structure-wise, so now you've got to come in, and you still got to be able to produce results, so that's where that snare comes in. And, you know, um, I mean, I've set up stuff like that in 30 foot of water if I got standing timber out in there, and I just come in with the stair at that point and some good lure and uh, try to catch them like that now. So you, you're meaning kind of like the Charlie Robbins, uh, not, I mean, not Charlie Dobbins, not Robbins, I'm thinking coyotes. Charlie Robbins, where he smears it on the tree and has a snare out to the side? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Dobbins, yeah. That, he showed me that long, long, many, many years ago. And particularly for me here in the city, doing ADC work, you know, okay, with just uh, talked about the con bear and the gripper and how you're going to educate some beaver with that. Well, now it doubles for an ADC guy because you're trying to stay away from pets. A lot of these places you're doing might be a, a golf course, lake, or whatever, so you got to stay away from pets plus the people. So now you can get that set like Charlie does out in the water and stay away from, you know, people, pets plus still deal with the beaver out in deeper water. You know, you might have to put on a pair of hip waders or chest waders, but you can accomplish the same thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. I, I just thought of something. You were saying because you were smoking, you were having a hard time when we walked out of that first stand. Mm-hmm. Is that why you sent me by myself down to that one that was like 700 yards away? on the last night <laughs> you just pointed and said go get it yeah yeah well it, uh, no it, it, that wasn't the reason but i didn't want you to see me struggling coming out on that first one there no because because i was really struggling to be honest with you yeah and and that wasn't i mean dig gun we didn't walk what half a mile maybe yeah it wasn't that far yeah and that that little bit of incline i mean i could feel it and of course, I was just getting over that big um, chest cold at that point, you know. And boy, my body was run down. I was really hurting and struggling. Then I'm gonna, I'm just gonna keep it with you. You were just, you just pointed, so you didn't want to walk down there. 
<laughs> well, I've been walking there all season long. So. <laughs> okay, yeah. now Carl, this is one I get at least every other day year round. Okay. What is your idea on scent control? I don't worry about it at all. I mean, I, I don't get sloppy, but I've got people that text me and holler at me about the same issue, Clint, and it, man, it's just so overrated. It's like the deer. You know, we were talking about the deer hunt there. Mm -hmm. you, you're not going to beat his nose. You're not going to beat a cow's nose. He knows you've been there. <clears throat> I do not worry about it a bit. I, you know, start out clean, and uh, I try to, you know, just don't get sloppy with bait and urine, lure and all that stuff. And uh, other than that, I don't worry about it a bit. Do you wear gloves? Mm, only to protect my hands, not for scent control by no means. Okay, so you, so you're you're not concerned on wearing rubber gloves or any, I mean, rubber boots or any of that other stuff. No, no. I've trapped in tennis shoes before, and going right back to this smoking deal, I mean, dead gum, I've smoked cigarettes, you know, for all these years, doing all this trapping and all this deer hunting. I know that's going to catch some slack right there. going to go, oh, you got to be uh, have all this scent control stuff to kill deer. Uh, no, sir. No, sir. Same way with the cows. I do not worry about it all. I mean, I smoke cigarettes. With my gloved used and to. my bare hands. You used to. Sir? Used to. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah, and then would, you know, grab a trap or a snare and set it and walk away from it with 100% confidence. Do you, so that, that's, my, that's my feelings on it. Okay. Do you, um, do you worry about sin at all when it comes to your snares or your beaver work? No, not really. I, I mean, now, granted... From the get-go, I kind of do because all my stuff is painted, okay, my snare I'm talking about. And then it's a, I dip it in full metal jacket. Once it gets to that point, I mean, I'm not keeping it, you know, out there with my gasoline and my oil jugs, obviously. Um, I just hang them up there in my shop away from any other bad scent. And past that, I just go trapping, man. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not trying to baby them or wrap them up in Ziploc bags and, you know, feeder bags and none of that stuff. It's nothing. No, I just I, I get them and go trapping. All right. Well, this other question, Carl, is uh, was very <laughs> generic. So I may lead you down a few ways here because it wasn't that specific. But where and how do I use beaver lure? So and I think what he was asking about is lure placement. So mm -hmm. if you're making a caster mount, what are you doing? Uh, I'm generally going to bring that sucker up, get me a little old stick or whatever I'm putting up there, and I'll tuck it right up there on my caster mount. And granted, I don't do a lot of caster mounts anymore. Um, and even with some snaring stuff, I mean, I'll go, you know, like we're talking about that set where we got the, the loop half in, half out of the water hanging off the side of a tree. I'll just go up there above it with my lure smear it on the side of the tree or the limb you don't want him to be able to run his nose up in there you want him curious trying to find it and then just use good common sense on 
the beavers approach, whether it's coming up onto dry ground, onto a caster mound, uh, a snaring, whatever the case may be, just, you know, think and think about and picture how he's going to react to that scent and, and try to get to it because he's going to try to find it. Mm-hmm. If, you know, he's, that's what he's doing. He's looking for it and he's trying to find it. That's what makes that uh that snare out there on that uh that sapling in the water so effective. I mean, he's just going to be keep circling, 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 trying to get to that. Now, do you ever put lure on uh, old or active slides? I have, I have. I, I I will more so throw it way up top just to kind of get something in the air because he knows that slides there or that crossover. If that makes sense, I might even go up on top of the, let's say we've got a levee they're crossing over. I might even go up there and six foot in the air, just put a touch of caster lure up there. You know, any beaver coming down, depending on the wind direction, let's say he's swimming up and down that body of water (coughs) on whichever side of the levee, and he catches a whiff of that. I mean, he knows that that crossover's there or that slide, whatever the case may be, and he's going to hit it. And you know, there you got that snare waiting on him, or body gripper, or foothold in the bottom, whatever you're doing there. You know, you said something interesting, and and I found this with myself <laughs> and most other guys that over many many years trap beaver is they get away from making caster mound sets very often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think yeah, they're, they're, you just see it as it's not? Do you think it's a crutch kind of when you get started? Do you think that's why everybody does it? Well, that's what all your books say, you know, and they they show it. And then when you get to doing it, I don't know about you and your situation, but for me, it just wasn't one of my best tools. I mean, you know, you give me a good blind set any day, I'll take that over a caster mount. And not to say that, you know, I hadn't caught beaver on caster mounts. Um, It's just not one of my go-tos by no means. I, I just don't have that much confidence in it. Okay. Yep. Now, this other one, you're going to have to think back to your otter trapping. Okay. Because he's wanting to know where, what are you looking for as far as locations to catch otter if you don't find crossovers? Well, that's a a good one. If it were me, um, of course, you're obviously wanting that crossover, that bend in that creek and, and them cutting across that's mostly what i target but if you you know travel routes i would say and travel routes coming from your deeper pools that would someplace you would fish that might hold crawfish or things of that nature um and you know just think about how the otter's gonna get there it might be a little old bitty canal a little bit ditch you can you know step across uh, dead gum, you and I seen one the other day going across uh, <laughs> gum, 500 acre wide open field and I still ain't got a clue where he was headed you know so right. yeah. wouldn't you yeah. love to just to grab that thing and put a tracker on it oh man yeah I mean I know where he come from he come off a little bitty pond but my lord to get to there it, it was forever to the next body of water and then when you and I sit there and watch that otter across that wide open green field, 
it was the craziest thing because I have no clue where he was going from there. You know, I mean, it's freaking mile and a half to the next water the way he was heading. Yeah. So, yeah. But going back to your question, um, if you're, you know, not sitting up on the crossovers or levee runs or things of that nature, just think about how the otter's going to travel. And that's generally going to be little bitty ditches, even if you don't see otter sign in there. Um, but think about what he's going to, you know, uh, a fish pond or uh, whatever the case may be. You want something that's going to hold some structure and some fish. That's where your otters are going to wind up at. One of the things that I learned in Louisiana, uh, back when <laughs> otter prices were so high, you know, you, you get so water focused on you know like you know looking for runs and crossovers and beaver dams mm -hmm. and stuff like that mm -hmm. what i noticed would probably help me by an extra 30 otter that year was i stopped and slowed down enough and it, it, you know how a creek meanders back and forth mm -hmm. and you have these sandbars and you would think an otter would just follow the water but what i started noticing is especially coming up current those otter were were going across the sandbar up close to the bank and just walking across the sandbar they weren't staying in the water right and okay and i'd start putting footholds where their you know where their little trail was and i started nailing them yeah okay so my question to you with this um do you think he was actually hunting up there on that edge like a mink would or what do you think was happening with that? I think it was just, uh, he was going somewhere and that was a shorter line than going out around that bend in the creek. Makes good sense, yeah. I think, you know, I mean, you, you're always guessing, you know, because mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. though I tried to interrogate some of them, they never told me the secrets. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that makes good sense, though. I mean, that, that's why you'll see it a, a big hairpin bend in a lot of these, I mean, it'll be a big major crossover. Uh, that you're looking for on these otters. If you can find them, boy, you're set. I mean, you're dropping a couple of snares or conny bears if legal or a foothold, just whatever, and you got them in, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I know your answer to the next question because you may have already said it, but I could tell that this guy has been reading books and he was like, I really enjoy beaver trapping with footholds, but I'm sick and tired of carrying bags and filling them up with rocks and dirt and and wire getting all tangled up mm -hmm. so when you when you use footholds do you ever use anything besides the drowning rods anymore no no that's all i ever use i mean dig gum man I, I can sit up there and make it sometimes in freaking tennis shoes you know and just it's so quick and so easy you're not having to deal with that big tangled up mess and all that weight. I just, I got that out of my life a long time ago. Let me, let me give them guys some tips right here. Invest in some good quality uh, carbon or fiberglass drowning rocks. It'll change, change your world right there, I promise you. Well, let me tell you what happened to me today. Okay. I'm moving traps. So, like, I feel like I've been, I don't know, I've probably moved seven 55-gallon drums of traps in the last four days, you know. Mm -hmm. So I feel like someone's beat me with a bat. I bet. But there's a guy that's working for the guy that bought my house, and his name is Country. 
if that just let that sink in when oh, everybody just wow. calls you country <laughs> and he's he's like a Jeff Foxworthy probably drinks way too much but is a genius at the same time and he kind of watched me of what I was keeping and not keeping. And there's all this wire that I used in my permaculture that he was going to clean up for the landowner. And he had the land, the, he brought his buddy over that does all this junk metal stuff. Well, they started cleaning up all this wire, which helped me out tremendously. But I looked right. around after they told me they did that. And I just, and I put all of these carbon grounding rods up against the building. And they weren't there. And I was like, uh -oh. did y'all take those? Uh -oh. And he goes, yeah, those black things got the metal pieces on the end. And I go, yeah. I said, uh, I really need those back. And I told him what I used them for. And he was like, oh. So he called the guy and he brought them back up there. And they were apologizing because they weren't trying to steal anything. Yeah. And then yeah. they started talking about trapping. You know, he's like, you know, I, I want a beaver trap to catch a beaver to make a hat with. So I gave him a TS-85 and showed him how to use it. And, and he started mm -hmm. talking about coyotes. There's a video that should be made with country. Everybody that he knows, if their freezer goes down with meat, they give him a call. Okay. And he, he's got a truck that he's built a crane on. Like I said, he's he's got a master's degree, and uh, yeah, he's got a master's degree in arbiter, so he's a tree guy. Right. So right. he's highly educated, but you would never know it. Mm -hmm. And he mm -hmm. he got mad today because he lost his bottle of Canadian Mist somewhere. If that lets you know how this is going on around around. <laughs> right. I like him already. Yeah. So everybody he knows knows if their freezer goes down and it's got meat in it, they call him, he comes over with his truck, he gets his homemade crane, he puts it on the back of his wonton, and he drives to certain properties, he's got permission, and they set this freezer out in an open field about 30, 40 feet away from the edge, he takes a two by four, and he cracks that door with a mask on, because it's rotten meat inside, and then they chain the door up against the two by four, so you got a four inch crack of rotten meat in there that's oozing out. Oh wow! And then he goes. Two days later, the fun starts, and I'm like, well, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Well, first off, you need at least four cases of beer, and then we break out the 17 HMR rifles, and me and my buddies." We, we get we get one in turkey box blinds. We put our, our reclining uh, lawn chairs in there. We drink beer, and he said, on a good day, usually the second, third, and fourth day, we will shoot three to five coyotes a day. Wow. Out Off that damn refrigerator. Sitting there with, with the beer <laughs> and everything. Because <laughs> he says, you can watch the coyotes come out, and they know it's in there, but they can't open the door. He said they get very creative. They they actually try to team up. One's like trying to shove his head in there while the other one grabs his paws on there. Oh, I bet that's crazy to watch. And then they, they you know, then they when they quit laughing at them, they shoot them. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. That's good right there. Okay, so next question is, how do I catch a bobcat? What do your sets oh. look like? Mine? Yeah. 
Uh, well, oh, good Lord. I, I've kind of gone to your style, man. I mean, um, basically, if, if I'm trying to catch bobcats, I'm looking for thick, nasty, lots of prey. Not out there in them big open fields where the coyotes are. And I just take my little old pruning shears and basically, like, I've got a, a thick wall of, uh, it could be anything, grass, horse reeds, cattails, whatever. And I just basically do me a little old shoot, throw me a handful of feathers in the back, and block that thing down with, with a big old uh, number four Sleepy Creek double long spring that's basically my bobcat trapping in a nutshell i've gone to uh i used to try to do kind of like you did with all the wings and and everything that's great and that works good but even my my flagging now is i take the old uh vcr tapes and okay. bust that uh bust that vcr film out of there and it's it's already in a little old spool and tied up and it's reflective i mean you can see that thing for half a mile away you know when the sunlight's hitting it and that's basic down dirty simple that's my bobcat trapping now i know you're older than dirt but where do you get vcr tapes at now i, I dig them and steal them out of the uh, boxes in the attic for my wife <laughs> <laughs> like your your wedding footage and stuff like that no, no, we don't. We don't go there. <laughs> She's got some of the old, some of the old kid stuff, you know. And I'll steal one every now and again. My God, that thing will last for years. <laughs> you wait till I see Liz. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll be in trouble then. But no, that's, that's what I do. I just keep it down dirty and simple, man. I mean, the, the cats are are easy to catch. They're just kind of weird in their movement, you know. You mm. just and you, you basically got one shot at him. And uh, so I, that's why I kind of keep that shoot tight. You know, it ain't got to be no two foot wide deal. You don't want that. You want something tight. And uh, just let him go in there and work it. And you, you really pick him up. Or, uh, of course, I love to snare. If I can find, um, you know, that, that high bank trail to me, that high bank trail above that creek edge is a killer on cats, fox, everything, really with a little old snare set up in it. And I know you've played around with the boxes. I thought maybe that's what you did more than anything now. No, I, I mean, I do that at a uh, convenience for these uh, jobs that we're doing. Um, but, I mean, they, they work great. But that's just out of convenience for, you know, of course, that box, man, that, that box of pick up skunks, possums, coons, cats. Uh, I hadn't caught a fox in one yet, but I'm, I wouldn't doubt that's coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that box is a great deal. I mean, uh, Chip showed me that box years ago. And the way he's got that set up with his pans on the front of it, I mean, there's, there's no trigger wires hanging down into the critter's uh, face there. It's elevated on the front. It's open in the back. And, I mean, you know, got the wire mesh on it. So the critter can look through it, and uh, it's a great system. But uh, I mean, it's, it it works good on cats if you can get around. Of course, most of the stuff I'm setting in is set up for 160, so I think that might be a little restrictive on a mm. cat, you know, versus versus a 220 or larger. Well, you know, I've talked to some Canadian trappers that they build cubbies for the 160s to catch lynx. 
Really? That, that blows my mind. And boy, that, yeah, I just can't see that. I mean, uh, their heads are big. that big. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they're bigger than our cats by a long shot. And uh, that's crazy there. I've had two that I can think of that tell me that. And I was like, what? Because wow. I mean, you mean 280? You know, I thought it was like a metrics thing or something. But no, mm -hmm. they were saying that they were pretty sure 160 size. And I was like, holy cow. Good Lord. So, what are they doing? Like a baited pen cubby or just a box cubby? A baited, yeah, they use brows. And that's, yeah. And, you know, yeah. and the, the, the way I understood from what they were saying is the trap is higher up, you know, in, in the stuff. It's not sitting on the ground. You know, but that's right. kind of like the only opening. That's the way um, it seemed to me from talking with them. Of course, until you see it, you really don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can picture that. I've seen them guys doing baited pins up there with uh, big them dog pin wire or whatever. And, you know, they got bait hanging in the middle. Mm -hmm. And and then, there, of course, they were guarding it with big 330s. But, uh, you know, if you had that thing kind of enclosed all the way around with some heavy bows and stuff and give him one place to stick his head in there, I could see that working. Well, I guess the only two places you can do that would be Mississippi, which I would say something, but I'm not, Chip, and then Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that, that, I mean, after deal with my boxes, you know, I'm, I'm restricted. Most of the, the places I trap are restricted down uh like here in tennessee we can't even run that mm -hmm. and Ar arkansas i'm you know stuck with a 160 so that's why most of mine are set up like that now okay okay yeah well why don't, why don't you describe uh your average because this the, the actual question i'm going off of is, is a production coyote set mm -hmm. so what, like if you're if you're going out on a job what is, what would you consider you know your average production coyote set and what's it set up like well um to me um when i get a call first thing i do is pull up google maps and i look at that a good trapper um should be able to tell where you know 75 80 percent of his traffic is going to go in i mean you're going looking for them uh road intersections uh you know anything funneling a uh, big big body of water with a road going down beside it what have you um but of course you know i, I love to snare the cows too so i'm always looking um for that too but production style for me if i can find a place for a snare absolutely i'm dropping in that snare even if it uh let's just take a typical uh, road intersection that jumps in there, which all the books are going to say right there on the point, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, yes, I'm going to put my flat set or my dirt hole or whatever I'm going to do right up there. You know, obviously, there's going to be uh, probably some coyotes in there to, that's made me pick that too. But nine times out of ten, if I can be backing off of that point there and walk back and i can find any kind of faint trail there within the first 10 15 20 uh feet of that point there where my foothold is out there on that point where all the books say to go i'll drop in a snare on that little old faint trail or i'll even make a trail just if it's grass on that point whatever the case may be i'll i'll walk through it 
and make me a little old faint trail. And nine times out of ten, um, I'll guard them with snares. And most of the time, your big-um cow's going to be hung up in that snare. Where he, he's coming up there, he's smelling. He might be seeing if you got a big uh, gaudy dirt hole. But he, he just doesn't rush right in there. And to me, I'm looking to drop them snares in them, on them places. And that big-um foothold up there, yes, I'm guarding it with a, with a trap on that set there, um, but a lot of times, it's acting almost like a, the decoy or the bait, you follow mm-hmm. me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're, so yeah. kind of your theory is the coyote's gonna see the set when he goes to circle, he's gonna use your trail. He's gonna use that trail. And even if I have to make it, I mean, for production-wise, um, you know, and yeah, everybody's gonna sit up there on that uh, four-way intersection there, but I'm, I'm looking to capitalize on that snare. That snare, I can set uh, two snares on that trail way faster than I can put in that one foothold. And when I walk away from it, I have 100% confidence that the next scout come down through there, checking that foothold trap out there, he's gonna be hung up in that snare. That's okay. just kinda, kinda my approach with it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Now I'm gonna ask you something that's near and dear to your heart. Okay. How do you kill big bucks? Uh, <laughs> all right. I knew better than ask about turkeys because we would never get off the radio. No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. And I'm gonna keep it real short uh, with with big bucks. And uh, uh, the secret to that is I can sum it up in three words, and that is lack of pressure. Hmm. That's the short, down and dirty. I mean, it take take you a lifetime to, to learn it and understand it. <clears throat> but I see this over and over and over. Um, I got all kinds of people that uh, you know want to know what I'm doing on these bucks, and it's, I'm staying out of his freaking bedroom. You know, I'm being patient and I'm watching from afar. And when I go in there, when I finally everything's right, the wind's right, the weather's right. If all that's not right, I don't touch it. I don't hunt it. I'll sit back and watch and observe. But when all that lines up, I fully expect killing the first time in. So you, you're not. Kidding. So you're not going to the stand every day. No, no. I hunt less now than I did back when, when I was in my 30s, hunting four or five days a week on deer. We're speaking about. I might not hunt, but maybe one, two, three days a week now, even during, you know, good weather and all that stuff. Um, patience picking them days. And like I said, when I go in there and make the decision to slide in on him, I fully expect to kill him first time. Okay. Doesn't happen all the time, but that's, that's how you kill big deer, staying off of him. Okay, I've got a person's name I'm thinking about. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna test your uh, your wizardry here. Okay. I've got a, a young man that I know very well that needs to hear his name with what you just said. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do you know who that would be? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I sure do. Because because I was that young man myself at one time. I was so gung ho on that stuff. And I run it. I run myself. I run my chances, man. And it's it's just gonna take him a long time to learn that. And well, who, who are we talking about? So when he hears this, he'll know. 
were speaking about our, our good young man, Travis. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Lo- love him to death, but and and he'll figure all this out, you know. He'll f- he'll figure it out. Just take he. I mean, dead gum. I've been doing it for, you know, forty years. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's twice as long as he's been alive. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I was the same way. <clears throat> Gung ho had to know where every scrape on the farm was, every rub. I could care less about that. Now I know where the deer's at. You know, he's down there in that thicket, and as long as I can stay off of it and be patient and wait for everything to line up, I'm thinking to kill him in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how you kill big bucks. You just stay off of them. And uh, uh, Chip made a quote one time, which talking about uh, he and I both loved to bow hunt these big white tails. And uh, he was talking about a elderly feller that killed a bunch of white tails. I mean, numbers that would just boggle the mind the most with a bow in there. And he said, one of the worst things you can do to uh, kill a, a big buck is try to hunt him. And I almost agree with that. I mean, it's just uh, when you start putting pressure on them biggins, it's over. Because I just leave. Yeah, yeah, he's gone. Yeah, you, you, you just run him. But that, that's not <laughs> what that's not what they say on the outdoor network now. Well, you yeah, gotta... we, we ain't all hunting big in big ranches where somebody's been watching that deer all uh, summer long and feeding that deer all. Anyway, don't get me started on that. Okay, okay. So, yeah. Well, that was my last of the questions. All right. And that was not bad. Yeah, See, no, that, that wasn't bad. All you would have to do, Carl, is ask your own self these questions and then answer them. Yeah. Yeah, well, I might surprise you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to get get me a little old uh, recording deal, and I'll try one or two and let you listen to them, see what you think about it. I mean, there might be a little bit of information I could pass on to maybe help some youngsters out there or something, you know. Well, even some oldsters. You got a lot of experience in that noggin of yours. Well, a little bit. I just I'm hard headed and been doing it forever and uh, like I say this is how I make my living so I'm dealing with it daily so I've, I've learned a, a lot of hard lessons in my life did you ever snare the rat no he's kicking my butt <laughs> 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 yeah what he's talking about folks I, I got a, a job at a school where we're we're down to trying to catch the last couple Norway rats and, and if anybody's ever tried to trap rats before they get shot and I mean, my goodness, where I think we're bumping over 50 now, and they get so smart, I'm down to freaking trying to snare Norway rats. I've been trying for two <laughs> days. In the last two days, I've put in four snares, and I've had two knockdowns and a drag through uh, each day. So I'm mad at them now. We're going to get that. I have no doubt you will. Well, it's, uh, the hardest thing is holding that little bitty snare in a in a circle and supporting it because I don't have a support collar on it. And I'm just kind of trying to wedge it at the mouth of them tunnels, and that's not working. Uh, but we're learning. We're going to get there. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, I want you to stay on the phone just for a second, and then uh, I want to tell everybody I uh, hope you enjoyed it. 
And if you think Carl has got some stuff you'd like to hear, uh, let me know so I can let him know. And I will talk to you all here next time.